thank you all for letting me preach tonight, Josh and um, church. It's a it's a strength. <laughs> maybe maybe from your point of view, from your perspective, it's not a strength of our church that I get to preach a lot. But from my point of view, from my perspective, it's a it's a strength um, and and blessing from from our church that there's times like on Sunday nights for uh, for people other than our pastor to preach. And so I'm I'm thankful for it. Um, if you want to go ahead and open up to Titus chapter three, we're going to be there most of the time um, tonight. I am my my job is um, I am a high school Bible teacher. If you don't know, I work at a at a Christian high school in New Albany, Indiana, and so it's kind of like a this is kind of like a Wednesday night, you know, or, or Sunday school class, something like that. Except it's all high school kids, and they get grades for the class, and some of them want to be in it, and some of them don't. But uh, so it's kind of a kind of a weird di- dynamic like that. But it's a but it's a it's a good job and a and a, and a good fun. Um, thing to do, and, and especially this past week was, was really fun. We've been talking um, a, a lot, and I, I plan for it to take up maybe Monday and maybe part of Tuesday or all of Tuesday maybe, but we're talking about what does it mean to be made in God's image. It ended up taking the whole week, and we're not finished yet. We're going to still talk about it some more uh, tomorrow, but as we were talking about what does it mean to be made in, in God's image, it just so happens that a couple... Um, a couple things happened in the in the news over the last week or two that uh, that that um, was was applicable to what we were talking about. And so, I don't know if any of you all saw it or not, but last Friday night, not uh, not two days ago, but the Friday before that, um, there was a an interview on TV. I think it was on ABC. Maybe it was Diane Sawyer, and she interviewed this guy named Bruce Jenner. And if you don't know who Bruce Jenner is, Bruce Jenner was a um, Olympic athlete. He won the decathlon, the first American athlete to ever win the decathlon in 1976. Um, he, was the, um, he was the first athlete to kind of take that um, success and notoriety and popularity and kind of turn it into um, uh, an attempt to, to kind of make some money off of that and do some other things from that. He was the first athlete ever to be on the, on the, on the front of the Wheaties box. Um, he also uh, became a sports caster, sports announcer um, for, for a few years. Um, he was in some movies and, and things like that. So you may know him from that. Um, if you don't know him from that, you may know him as the uh, stepdad and uh, dad to some of the Kardashian uh, family. There's a, there's a TV show about the Kardashians, and he's been married to their mom for, I think, 20 years, 20-something years, something like that. Um, and, and then here recently, I think, was in the last uh, month or two or three, they've, they've gotten divorced. And this, this interview was, was about him and about his life. But the main thing about the interview, the, the main reason he was doing this interview, is because recently um, he has uh, come public and, and said that he has, for many years, uh, been dressing as a woman. And that he's decided he wants to be a woman. And so he's had... Um, he hasn't had complete physical surgeries, but he's had some, had some facial plastic surgery to make, himself, make his features look more feminine. Um, and he's had some, been taking some, some female hormones and, and things like that. And he's, he's, changing, he, he's wanting to change himself into a, into a woman. It just so happens that that was, um, that was on, on Friday. And then Monday, we come to school and start talking about what does it mean to be made in God's image? And, and, and so we were able to, to kind of take that and, and talk about that and, 
and talk about how every single person is made in God's image, and, and that's part of, he, he Bruce Jenner, is also made in God's image, and, and should we em, embrace how God's made us, or do we have freedom to try to change that? And, and it led to some really, really good discussions. Um, another issue that, that came up on Monday, um, it just so happens that this past Monday, at the Supreme Court, there was um, oral arguments um, for a, a case about gay marriage, same-sex marriage. And there were some, some people from Kentucky, some people from Tennessee, some people from Michigan, and I think some people from Ohio um, who were um, bringing this case to the Supreme Court saying that they had been married in these other, one of the questions was they had, they had been married in these other states where, where same-sex marriage is legal, and they're, and they're saying now we've come back to our own home states and it's not recognized, and, and it should be. We should have the same freedoms in our home state that, that other people have in these, in these other states. And so that was, that was an issue. And so we talked about that. What does it mean to be made in God's image? And it led to some really, really good, good class discussion. I asked some, some hard questions. We had some, some really hard discussions about things like, um, I said, imagine that you're a pastor. Imagine that, that you're, or maybe you're a leader in a church, and someone comes to you and says, um, for the last 10 years or so, I've been, I, I was born as a man, but for the last 10 years, I've been living as a woman. I've had these surgeries, and I've been taking these hormones, and I've been doing these, these different things. Um, and, and then recently, in the last month or so, I've become a Christian. And I've been reading the Bible, and I, and I want to join your church, if you'll have me, if you'll let me. And then I want to know from you, what, what should I do? How do I, how do I fix this? What, should I continue living as a woman? Should I go back to living as a man? Should I have more surgeries to undo the surgeries I had before? What should, what should happen? And it's really a hard question. Um, and, 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 but it led to some really, really good discussions. And then I asked the question of, I said, what if, what if you have someone that you're really, really close to, someone that you love a lot, someone in your family or a really close friend that, that you really love um, and you don't want to hurt them, you don't want to, um, to, to strain that relationship or, or harm that relationship in any way, and that person comes to you and tells you that they're um, either gay or lesbian and that they're going to get married and they want you to come to their wedding. What would you do? Would you go to the wedding? Would you not go to the wedding? If you would go to the wedding, why? If you wouldn't go to the wedding, why would you not go to the wedding? And, and we had this, this really good discussion in, in, in class and it got me thinking, as, as Christians, I, I, I'm not, I don't want to talk tonight at all about whether that's right or wrong. What I want to talk about tonight is how do we respond to and how do we treat and how do we relate to people that are in sin and people that are in, that are in public ma major sins, what we consider something that, that's an obvious kind of blatant public sin. As, as Christian people and as, as the church of God, how should we respond to those kind of people? And I, I want to think about this, and I think Paul answers this question for us in Titus 3. And so I'm going to give us, um, from Titus, I'm going to give us three ways that we should respond. Okay, three ways that we should respond. And then, I'm, and then we're going to look at four reasons why we should respond that way. So three ways we should respond, and then four reasons that we should respond those three ways. Okay. So in this situation, say you have someone who is, let, let's say that the, that the Supreme Court comes back in June and decides, or, or July, or whenever it is that, that they're going to release their, their decision, make their decision, and, and, and publish that. Let's say they come back in June or July, and they say, we have voted and we have decided in favor of same-sex marriage. And so now, 
Same-sex marriage is legal all throughout America. It's the law of the land, and there's no going back. How do we respond as a church? How do we respond as Christian people? What do we do? What if someone comes to us and they say, uh, like I said, a, a really good friend, a really close family member, and they tell us that they are gay? How should we respond to that? Or they tell us that they want to be transgender. How do we respond to that? Or, or any other number of, of, of sins. Well, there's some options. One thing we could do is we could stage this big protest. Right? We could go down to Jefferson Street, I think it is, or wherever it is in downtown Louisville, to the federal courthouse, and we could you know, get picket signs and, 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 and come up with some catchy chants and catchy slogans, and we could stand around and you know, march around the building with these signs and, and, and all those kind of things, and, 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 and we, should, we, we could protest and have these big demonstrations to try to affect this political, social change. I don't think that's how we should respond. I don't think that's what we should do. There, there's a guy named Donald Guthrie who's writing about this, this passage in Titus 3, and he says, he says, here the apostle Paul evidently fears that the turbulent Cretans, it's the people that live in Crete where he's writing to, he evidently fears that the turbulent Cretans might too readily implicate the church in political agitation, which could only bring the gospel under suspicion. Okay? There, there's a place for us to be political, and there's a place for us to be involved in, in social action and social changes. There, there's a place for that. We should be involved in those things. We should be knowledgeable politically. We should, we should vote. We should do those kind of things. We should be involved even in, in changing things uh, socially that, that need to be changed if, we, if we're able to. But there's something more important than that. The gospel is more important than that. So, so we, shouldn't, we shouldn't make that our main thing. We shouldn't make that our, the, the thing that we focus on to the point that, that we're known as that, to, to the point that that's a hindrance to the gospel, to the point that that's a hindrance to the gospel, where, where we're identified with a certain political group or a certain political position or a certain political um, party even. Right? We shouldn't be, as Christians, we shouldn't be identified that way. We should be identified as Christians. We should be identified as people of the gospel. Okay? So, so we could stage this big protest. I, I don't think we should do that, though. We could, um, we could compromise. We, we could just, as a, as a church, as, as Christian people, we could compromise. We, should, we, we, we could just go with whatever our society says. Right? If, the, if the Supreme Court comes and says that, that's, that, that gay marriage is now legal, then, then we could go with that and say, yes, we're going to start having homosexual marriages. And, and, and some churches do that. And, and some churches do that, and, and they say that they're trying to stay culturally relevant or, or something like that. They're trying to reach people. And, and, I, and I think that's wrong, too. I think that that's not the approach we should take. I, I think that's a, a misunderstanding or, or misapplication of, of when Paul said that he becomes all things to all people. Right? That, that's not what Paul's meaning there. I, I don't think we should compromise and, and go with what the society says, what the culture says. A third response that, that we could take is we, sh- we could shun or uh, avoid these people. We could, we, we, sh- we could shun homosexual people. We could avoid them and just not have any of those people in our lives, not have any friends. When we were having this discussion in, in class, there were uh, a, a couple of kids and, 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 and actually several who said they didn't know any gay people and they didn't want to and they, and they wouldn't. I asked if, if someone came to you and said they wanted you to go to their wedding, would you go or not? And they said, well, I wouldn't have any gay friends. And, and I said, well, that's unfortunate because if you don't have any gay friends, then how are they going to ever hear about Jesus? If they don't have any Christian friends, who's going to tell them about, about the gospel? We could avoid them. We could, we could shun them. I don't think that's the right 
response either. I think Paul tells us a better response in Titus chapter 3. And, and part of this response goes to governments, to authorities, to, to people that have uh, authority over us like that. And then some of the response goes to individual people. So the first two things he tells us is more in line with, with government, with authority. And then the, the, the third one is more in line with individuals. But here's what he says. Starting in Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 1, reading through verse 7. And you remember what's happening here. Paul is writing this letter to Titus, who is, um, in, in, for, for, um, for all intents and purposes, the pastor of the church in this town called Crete. He's there kind of as a church planner, setting things up, and he's, he's kind of acting as the pastor until they get things in order. And so Paul's writing to Titus, and he says, remind them, Titus, as, as this pastor, as this church leader, remind the people in the church to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own righteousness, but I'm sorry, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. I think Paul gives us a, a really good answer here of how we should respond. The first thing he says, back, way back in verse 1, he says that we should be submissive. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. The, the, the first way that Christians, the first way that, that Christian people and churches should respond is we should be submissive. Okay? Now notice, he doesn't say that we should submit. Right? He says we should be submissive. And it's, it's not a big difference, but I think there is a, uh, an important difference there. I don't think he's telling us what to do, necessarily. I don't think he's telling us to submit. I think he's telling us the types of people we're supposed to be. I think he's telling us the type of attitude we're, we're, we should have. Because we're going to see in a minute that it's not possible for us to always submit in every situation. But I think it is possible for us to always be submissive in every situation. Even in situations where we're not able to submit. Even in situations where we're not able to obey, we can still have a submissive attitude. Oliver Green, writing about this passage, he says, They're not able, they are not, they are not to be always going about with a chip on the shoulder daring someone to knock it off. Instead of being contentious, the believers in the churches were to demonstrate humility, gentleness, and meekness at all times. It's an attitude. We should have an attitude of submissiveness. I'm not sure how, uh, how popular, popular it is right now th these days, but I know that it used to be uh, a big thing. This, this slogan, it was just two words, question authority. See it on T-shirts, you would see it on all kinds of places. Question authority. And, and young people would, would have that kind of as a mantra. Question authority. Don't do anything just because someone tells you to, but always be questioning authority. That's not the kind of people that Christians are to be. We're to be people who are submissive to authority. And we'll, we'll see why here in, a, here in a little bit. But Paul tells us to be, be submissive to rulers and authorities. Be submissive to the rulers and authorities. And he's not necessarily meaning the person who, who holds the office, but he means 
the office. Okay? So whether or not you think President Obama is a good president, we should still be submissive to the office of president. You may think he's the best president that, that America's ever had. You may think he's the worst president America's ever had. But in, in, in every respect to, to where we're, we're able to and we're called to, we should be submissive to the office of president as the, this leader that is over us. You may think that Senator McConnell is the best senator ever or the worst senator ever. Same thing. Senator Paul, you may think he's the worst or the, or the best, but we're called to be submissive to that office. Representative Yarmouth, who's our representative. Governor Bashir, Mayor Fisher, you may think those are the best in that position that's ever been. You may think that's the worst in that position that's ever been, and yet we're still called to be submissive, to have, the, have this attitude where we want to obey, we want to submit, we want to follow in every way possible. So first of all, we're to be submissive. As individual people and as churches, we're to be submissive. Secondly, he says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. And then he says to be obedient. We're also to be obedient. We're also to be obedient. I, Howard Marshall is writing about this passage, and he says this, this second verb here, to, to be obedient, he says it reinforces the point of being submissive because obedience as a, is the normal pattern that Christians should exhibit should exhibit. And then he says that it expresses what being subject means in practice. So what does it mean to be submissive to rulers and authorities? In, in a practical way, what that means is that we're obedient. We do what they say. We obey the laws that are passed. We obey the laws that are, that are signed in, into law by the governor or by the mayor or by the president. If there's a law that's put in place, we, we obey that law. That's who we should be. That's what we should be characterized as. Christian people should be the best citizens that there are. Christian people should be the people that obey the laws more than anybody else does, that obey the laws more willingly than anyone else does. That's what we're called to be, submissive people and, and, and obedient people. It should be our, it should be our sincere goal, and, 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 I, and I use that word on purpose, it should be our sincere goal. With all sincerity, we should obey in every circumstance, if at all possible. Now, we're going to see there's some circumstances where it's not possible, but if at all possible, we should sincerely, with a, with a, with a good, uh, willing, submissive heart, we should obey. Another commentator, Homer Kent, he says, he says we're, we are not to obey in cases which are morally wrong. And he quotes Acts 5.29, where they arrest Peter and some of the other apostles, and Peter says, we must, they tell them to stop preaching, and Peter says, we must obey God rather than men. There's some cases like that that we're going to run into. Okay? He says we're not, we are not to obey in, in cases which are morally wrong, but then listen to this. He says, in such instances, Christians should quietly disobey and be obedient to the consequences. As Christian people, we, even in our disobedience, we should be characterized as submissive. We should, obey, we should disobey regretfully. We should disobey in, in a quiet manner, and then we should take and accept whatever consequences there might be to that disobedience. When it's, imp when it's impossible for us to obey, then we should disobey meekly, we should disobey humbly, we should disobey regretfully. We should be sorrowful that we've been put in a position where obedience to the rightful authorities is impossible. We shouldn't relish those opportunities. We shouldn't, we shouldn't relish the cases where we get to disobey. We shouldn't be happy when they come. 
and we definitely shouldn't go looking for those cases. We're to be submissive people. We're to be obedient people. And then the third thing, that, the, the third characteristic of how we should respond, and this is more toward individuals, not toward governments or toward authorities. This is more toward individuals. He says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities to be obedient. And then he says, to be ready for every good work. And then look at verse 2. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and then listen to this phrase, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. That's the third characteristic, the third way that, that we should respond to people, to, to sinful people, to, to unbelieving people that we might interact with and, and as both as individual people ourselves and as a church ourselves. We should show perfect courtesy toward all people. He says all people, all people, all individuals, no matter what their situation might be, we show them perfect courtesy, he says. Again, I. Howard Marshall, he says, the thought is not so much of sweetness as of patience. We're patient with people. And it's depicted in terms of non-retaliation. Christians are not to attack their opponents. Gentleness is to characterize relationships. We're not to be people that attack people that we disagree with or people that disagree with us. Even when those people attack us first, we're not to retaliate against them, but instead we're to bear with them. We're to be patient. We're to show perfect courtesy. This happens a lot, but it should never be the case. Listen, it should never be the case that, that we as Christian people find ourselves looking at any person or any group or any type of people as enemies. Just because someone's in some type of sin, we shouldn't look at them as enemies. Now, that doesn't mean that we accept the sin that they're in, right? It doesn't mean that at all. We don't, we, we don't compromise on that. But we're not I'm not talking right now about, uh, about, about that disagreement. I'm just talking about how do we treat people? How do we respond to people? It should never be the case that we find ourselves looking at other people or groups of people or types of people as, as enemies of, of us. We shouldn't look at people or see people as so different or so sinful or so dirty that, that we wouldn't want to be connected to them. Think about the people that Jesus spent his time with. Paul says to speak evil of no one. He says to avoid quarreling with people. He says to be gentle with them. And he says to show perfect courtesy toward them. These are the three characteristics, I, I think, that Paul gives us here of how we should respond to people that are, that are in sin. We should be submissive to the governments. We should be obedient to the governments. We should be, show perfect courtesy toward all people. Why do we do that? Four, four reasons, real quick. We're running out of time. Four reasons, real quick. The first reason simply is because God commands it, right? The Bible says we should do it, so we should do it. God commands it. It's enough simply that he commands it. He tells Titus to remind the Christians in Crete of this command. He must have told them already if he's telling them to remind them. He must think it's important if he's telling him to remind him something he's already said. In, in fact, uh, one of the commentators I was reading said that the word used here um, that's translated remind is a word that, is, that, that can mean to remind continually, to remind over and over and over again that this is something that's important. So the, the, the first reason we respond this way is because God commands it. God commands it. 
The second reason that we respond this way, especially toward governing authorities, is because God has ordained those authorities and God has put those authorities in place. God has ordained those authorities and God himself has put those authorities in place. Romans chapter 13 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Whoever resists these authorities resists what God has appointed. And there will be judgment. For rulers are not a terror terror to the good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what's good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. So in, in in every case where it's possible, we should willingly and and submissively obey the the governing authorities that are in place because God himself has put them in place and God himself has ordained them. Thirdly, we do these things because God commands it. We do these things because God has ordained the governing authorities and put them in place. And then thirdly, we respond this way, especially to individuals we respond this way, because we used to be in the exact same situation. We used to be in the exact same situation. Matthew Henry says, those should be most disposed to bear with others follies who may remember many of their own. Those should be meek and gentle and patient toward others who once needed and doubtless expected the same. There was a time in our lives when we needed patience, we needed gentleness, we needed meekness, we needed someone to bear with us. And we remember we were in that same situation, so we bear with others and we're patient with others and we're meek toward others. Whatever can be said of unbelievers right now could have been said of us a year ago or 10 years ago or 30 years ago or whatever the case might be. We're in the exact same situation. Paul tells us this in Titus chapter 3. He says, verse 3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. We used to be the exact same way. There's no, there's no difference. We used to be the exact same way. One of my favorite TV shows is Seinfeld. Seinfeld was a sitcom. It came on in the early 90s. I don't know if you were familiar with it. But there were four main characters, Jerry, um, George, Elaine, and Kramer. And Jerry was kind of the main character, kind of the, kind of the normal, the most normal guy. But then there was this, this character, Jerry, or George, and George was this kind of a loser, basically. He was set up to be that way. He was a short guy. He was kind of pudgy, overweight. He was bald. He, lived with, he was like in his 40s and lived with his parents still, didn't have a good job, all, all this kind of stuff, okay? There was a, an episode where George is, is being set up on a date with this girl, and he goes out with her, and he finds out somehow after two or three dates that she's bald. She's wearing a wig. And George gets all upset about this, and he's so mad that his friend Jerry set him up with this girl, and she's bald, and he's at their house one day, and he's complaining about it. How could you set me up with this bald woman? She's bald. I, I can't believe it. And Elaine gets so mad, and she just takes, takes him by the arms and screams at him, you're bald. You're, you're upset that you're dating this lady who's bald, but guess what, George? You're bald. How can, it doesn't make sense, right? And, and, and Paul's saying the same thing here. How, how, can we, how, how can we treat people as if they're, they're, how can we think of people as if they're so dirty and so different and so sinful that there's no salvation available for them when we were in that exact same situation. That's exactly who we once were. 
the passage that, that Troy read this, this evening to start the service off from 1 Corinthians 6 is exactly what it says. It has this whole list of, of, of types of sins, and then it says, so were some of you. So were some of you. So the third reason that we treat people this way is because we used to be in the exact same situation. And then the fourth reason, look at verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. The fourth reason we respond this way is because God has saved us by his mercy alone. God has saved us by his mercy alone. That, that passage in 1 Corinthians that I just mentioned, uh, that, that Troy read at the beginning, chapter 6, listen to verse 11, the last verse that Troy read. He's, after, this, after this list of, uh, of sins, Paul says, such were some of you. And then he says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. You were that way, but you're no longer that way. And the reason you're no longer that way is because God has made you not that way anymore, because God has cleansed you, because God has washed you, because God has made you clean. When God saved us, Titus tells us right here so clearly, when God saved us, it wasn't because of works that we did in righteousness. When God saved us, it was only because in his kindness, he decided to save us by his own mercy alone, nothing else. Only his own mercy, through the death of his son, through the washing and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit made us alive. Jesus cleansed us from our sins. And listen, the exact same thing is true for those around us who might be in their sins right now. God is able to change them just like he changed us. God's able to change them just like he has done for us. No one is so far gone that God can't save them. No one is so simple that he cannot be cleansed by the Holy Spirit, no matter what that sin may be. And so when, when we're around people, and hopefully we are around people that are in sin, when we're around people that are in sin, that are, that are non-believers, we're in sin also, right? But as, as we're around people who are refusing to repent of their sins, and hopefully we are, how do we treat those people? We should be submissive when possible. We should be obedient when possible if it's, if it's proper to be so, if they have some type of authority over us. But regardless of who they are or what position they have over us or under us or, or whatever, regardless of who they are, we should treat them with perfect courtesy, Paul says. Treat them with perfect courtesy. Speaking evil of no one, avoiding quarreling, being gentle with them, bearing with them, patient toward them, showing them kindness, for the sake of them leading them to Christ, for the sake of what the gospel has done in us, affecting them the same way. I want to I leave you with just, a, with just a couple things here, a couple things for you to pray for. Here's what you should pray for. Here's what you should pray for. First of all, you should pray, we should pray, we should pray, that, that God would give us peace with our governing authorities. We don't want it to be the case where we have to disobey. We don't want it to be the case where we're put in a position where we have to choose between obeying what we're, what we're asked to do by proper authorities that, that, are, that have real, true, good authority over us and, and what God has told us to do. And so we should pray that, that we would not be put in that situation. We should pray that, that we would have peace with our governing authorities. 
We should pray that God would give us humility and meekness to live in submission and obedience when, when possible. Pray that God would give us humility to, to live that way. We, sh- we should also pray that God would give us courage to disobey when necessary, but also that he would give us the grace to do so from a submissive attitude. Not a prideful where we're happy we get to disobey or we're happy we get to stick it to the, to the authority or anything like that. We should have a humble, meek, submissive attitude, even in our necessary disobedience. And then we should pray that God puts simple people in our lives. We should pray that God does that. We should pray that we're not insulated from, from the world, that we're not insulated from people that we might be able to affect with the truth of the gospel. And then we should pray that God would give us patience and grace to treat them patiently, to bear with them, to show perfect courtesy to them. We're about to take the Lord's Supper, um, and, and, and that reminds us that our, our, our hope in this world, our hope right now as Christian people, as believers in Jesus, our hope is not in peace here on earth. That's not our hope. If that's our hope, then we're going to be, uh, we're gonna be uh, left short. In some cases, it may be impossible. In some cases, it may prove to be impossible for us to live without running into conflicts with our government, with our authorities with other people. That, those things are going to happen. And, and listen, the day may even come, Troy talked about this a few weeks ago, the day may even come when, when we find ourselves very much so in opposition to authorities over us. The, the day may come when, 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 we're, when we're looked at as a, as a fringe group simply because we're standing on the word of God. But we have no other choice, right, than to stand on the promises that we sang about earlier. In, in those cases, we find our joy, we find our hope, in the fact that our victory has already been won. It's not up to us to win the battle. It's already been done. We submit to those in authority around us for their sake, that they might see our submission. That might be an opening to us for the gospel. And we're free to live this way only because our victory is dependent on the death and resurrection of Jesus. Our victory is dependent on the death and resurrection of Jesus. The worldly system's passing away Day by day by day, the kingdom of God is coming and being manifested more fully day by day by day. And we look to the day when these earthly conflicts will be done away with, when Jesus returns, when he sets up his kingdom as our righteous, good, merciful, loving king. And as we take the Lord's Supper, as we eat his body and drink his blood, we're reminded of that promise he made to us. And we're looking forward to the day when he comes and fulfills that promise. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much tonight that that you are our king, that you are our God, that you have changed us. God, we see a a difficult calling here tonight. Father, in so many ways, to to live in a way that is is unnatural. Um, That's the opposite of how we often want to react. And yet, God, you've called us to react in a humble, meek, loving, gentle, patient way. God, not, not, not at all forsaking the truth of, of Scripture. God, not at all forsaking the truth of the gospel. Not at, all, not at all forsaking the sinfulness of sin and the seriousness of sin. God, we want to, to, to highlight that and not run from that at all. And yet, God, we want to treat people gently and patiently and bear with them and love them. And God, I pray that you would help us to do that. Well, thank you so much for Christ. I pray these things in his name. Amen.